Welcome to How to Get a Job College Student Edition, the podcast for first-generation and minority college students. Each episode will feature topics such as highlights from students who have completed the Mastering College to Career Mentoring Program, networking opportunities, and unique insights from industry thought leaders. So if you're looking for your guide to success, you're in the right place. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the Mastering College to Career podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a great show for you today. I have an amazing guest, Fernando Cevaggio. He is the project engineer at Pape Dawson. He's also the C- uh, regional vice president for SHEP, which stands for Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. And here's why I'm excited for the guest for you today, because a lot of times, inherently, I have a lot of business guests and a lot of, we talk a lot about business. and Going to college is not just business. Engineering is if sometimes the largest major in most universities. And one of the things that I, I notice is that I want to make sure this podcast goes above and beyond just the college of business. And so speaking and bringing more guests like Fernando, this is the help. But specifically on Fernando, which I was really impressed is that he's very active with the community. And I'll let him talk about it. I'm not going to ruin it. But I, I've never met Fernando in person, but following him on social media and I was super impressed. So I wanted to bring him and have him share his story and everything else. And so without further ado, Fernando, welcome to the show. How are you? Pretty good, man. Thanks for the invitation. Really looking forward to sharing with your community. Thank you. No, well, Fernando, let's start, you know, oh, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and tell us why did you decide to be a civil engineer? Yeah. So um, I'm originally from South Texas, from Brownsville, Texas. Uh, raised by a single mom, uh, really, I guess I grew up very humble beginnings, if you will. Uh, early, from a young age, you know, my mom kind of threw me into into the um, into the fire. Um, you know, back then we really we didn't really have a lot of opportunity for paying the bills and that kind of thing. My mom always worked two, three jobs, and so what I mean by that is she threw me into into the fire by you know forcing me and encouraging me to get involved in helping, uh, I guess, her business. Uh, back then we were selling tamales, we were selling, you know, um, tacos. And so she, she encouraged me to go out there with her and knocking on doors, you know, trying to encourage people to buy some of our food. So as a young age, you know, I thought of it as, I'm just this poor kid knocking on doors, but what she was really trying to do was mold me into an entrepreneur, mold me into someone who was extroverted and knew the, the importance of hustling. Right. And so, um, looking at this from a global standpoint, and even as a kid, I always used to wonder who dictated what, when, where, and uh, I wanted to be able to impact that. And so I think I was able to find out from an early age what civil engineering was and how civil engineers were able to really build buildings and build bridges and build certain parks in different areas. So that was kind of what led me into from a young age of wanting to help build that. I love it. And so I want to talk about the fact that you know, you've graduated, you've been with the same company. So I mean, and I saw a video you have on your LinkedIn that you're very like you're in your dream company. Let's talk about your personal transition from college to career. And what do you why do you think that you're one of those rare outliers that actually found a company where you have been working there for over two years, which 80% of people don't? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was I saw it as a relationship. It was a two way street. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the exposure that I've had with, with SHIP and with AACE, you know, people see it as, okay, I have to go find a company who's going to give me a chance and I'm going to just take it, whatever it comes my way. And they see it as if they're doing the company a favor. But I've been fortunate enough to find a company that 
I saw myself uh, bringing value, but they were also offering value to me. So it was a two-way street. And I think I'm fortunate enough that when I was an intern, I was able to really discover the culture of the company, which is really big on giving back to the community. You know, funny enough, our CEO really believes that if we're only, you know, putting construction documents out in the field and we're not really impacting communities, we're failing as engineers, specifically civil engineers, right? When we become licensed professional engineers, we send an oath, right, on the importance of giving back to the community and just the general welfare. So, um, so yeah, I've been really fortunate in being part of this company, but it's, I think it's um, like the way they the way they go about doing projects, the way they select certain projects. It doesn't. Uh, it's never compromised my moral ethics. I've never been forced to work on a project that was going to impact the community in a negative way. And I think that's what's been really encouraging in pushing me to say, you know what, I'm going to give it my all on the on this company because I know they're looking now for the future generations and and building a legacy one engineer at a time. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and I think my advice to students is, it, or I guess my suggestions for students is, is that if you take the time to assess yourself, understand what you're wanting and what you're looking for and expect from a company and you do it earlier on, you have the ability to find those companies because they are out there and it's the right fit for you. Fernando, let's talk a little bit about STEM and why should students consider a career in STEM? Like what are some of the pros and what are the cons that you see? Yeah, so science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, I specifically, you know, focus on the engineering side, but just in general, STEM is, is a career path that we're moving in the direction in, right? Uh, you look at the way technology has evolved. We look at social media. We look at the technology advances. If you want to be involved in the cutting edge and making certain decisions, and really driving a lot of impact in people's lives, like that's the biggest encouragement for wanting to pursue STEM. Uh, you know, you look around your room, you look around your, your office, there's nothing around you that doesn't involve some type of STEM. And so I think that's one of the really encouraging parts that, that I try to push people on is, if you want to be working on projects that are going to have a, a legacy and like a really long lasting impact, that's what I encourage STEM for. Uh, but also it's, like if you're a natural like tinkerer, right? As a kid, I remember what, like my brother got a Pokedex one time and uh, I went in there and I'm like, okay, I want to figure out how this works. So I go and I break it, right? Sorry. I open it up, wanting to fix it. I trying to see how it worked and I tried to put it back together and I couldn't figure it out. And so even from as a kid, I always wanted to know how things worked. And I think that's where I really encourage people to pursue STEM is if you're naturally wanting to know how things work, if you're naturally wanting to take things apart, and just be have some sort of like hand in making things better like that's what stem allows you and so again that's the biggest encouragement for people in stem is if you want to just you know mess around break things blow things up there's an opportunity and a career path in stem for you to pursue tell me a little bit about why you decided to join shep and even not just become a member of one of hundreds of thousands of members but actually go and be in a national position as a regional VP. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, she's been around for like 40 some years. And when I was in college, I knew the organization existed. Um, and I wasn't a part of ship when I was in college. I was a part of another organization called Mayas, the Mexican American engineers and scientists. I was also part of other organizations, but what drove me to get involved with ship was after graduation, I, uh, I moved to Houston 
and I was looking for ways to get you know involved. I was looking for ways to try to give back to the community. And so I started looking them up and I remember that they existed. So I show up to the event with the intention of being able to get plugged in and just give back to the community. Uh, I really enjoyed playing with Legos. I enjoyed you know teaching kids about STEM. So that's kind of what drove me into it. But I was also in a way selfish of what I was trying to do because I knew that Shipped helped you, you know, build your personal personal development skills, professional development skills, and I wanted to become a better public speaker. I, I wanted to find a way to be able to gain influence, and I wanted to find a way to be able to encourage the people around me. And so I saw Ship as an opportunity to be able to gain those skills, and it was kind of a win-win scenario, right? So you know, from the beginning, like I said, I wanted to talk to kids, but even talking to kids made me nervous. Talking to elementary kids made me nervous. But I knew that I could just make mistakes with them and it wasn't going to be the end of the world. And so as I was gaining those skills, I felt more and more comfortable. So I started giving talks at middle schools and high schools and universities. And by the time I realized it, I felt extremely comfortable having conversations with my peers, uh, giving technical conversations, technical presentations. And it all started by just wanting to say, I want to get back to the community, but also become a better public speaker. Wow, what an excellent story. And how many student chapters do, is there around in the nation? So it's, I should know this answer, but I think there's maybe 200 and some university chapters. We're a three-tiered organization. Uh, we have chapters in high school, undergraduate, and professional chapters. And I think all in all, if you include the junior chapters, the undergraduate chapters, and the professional chapters, we're in the 300-ish, uh, uh, I guess, chapter level uh, or number of chapters, but we have over 11,000 official ship members. Wow. That's incredible. And in terms of, let's talk about college and the, and the chapters in college. Why should you know a college engineering student join? And is that only for Hispanics? No, no, not at all. So the way we like to push it. So our slogan, our mission and vision is for to have Hispanics be viewed as leaders in the community in STEM. And our, I guess our slogan is push or are leading Hispanics in STEM. And so we, sometimes we get caught up on, on the name. Uh, people get caught up on the name as far as it being Hispanic. And so it's not an organization for Hispanics. It's an organization by Hispanics. And it's not an organization just for engineers. It's for anybody who wants to become an ambassador of STEM. So if you have a teacher, if you have a parent, if you have someone who is kind of STEM, but not really, but wants to get plugged in, anybody can be a member. And so we have different like levels, right? You can be an associate or you can be a full member, but at the end of the day, no, the, the organization isn't just for them. And so for students in the undergraduate level, we, I encourage them to get plugged in if they, I think back then we used to push it as if you want to get a job, get involved in SHIP because we'll help you out. We have these really big conventions and you know, we have hundreds of companies show up and we try to get you jobs with Facebook and Google and like all the really big ones, right? Um, but that's really not what, what it's about. I think what it's about is the familia aspect. You know, we have had so many students who, who I guess grew up in the Valley or grew up in California and then they moved to Texas and they, they go to college there and they miss home, right? They miss the home cooking, they miss the family, they miss the primos. And so SHIP is able to give you that uh, from a STEM background. So there, there's people there that are going to help you technically with your homework, but it's also going to remind you of the importance of just 
being able to celebrate your culture. And, and so people who are in SHIP, they're very passionate about their background. They're really passionate about giving back into the community. It's like that's the biggest encouragement for people in the undergraduate level is if you want to find a familia who is going to push you culturally and also push you technically, like that's what SHIP is there for. You talked about you guys having national or like conventions and having, you know, hundreds of companies there. I was talking to different, you know, leaders like, like Alpha and Prospanica, and they have this national conventions. And one of the benefits that the members get from attending these national conventions is that students that are not in tier one universities now have access to these companies that don't recruit at their universities because they might just recruit in the top 20 universities and that's it, but they'll go to events and be able to recruit those students. Does that work the same for you guys? Yeah. I mean, we have students who, who are in a community college, right? And they're, they're just going for their associates with the intention of maybe going to a four year school to pursue computer science or civil engineering, whatever the case is. And so usually these big, you know, these big companies, they don't, they don't go to community colleges, right? Cause they have a certain, um, schedule that they follow. And so, yeah, it's, it's the same for, for our organization. I've had students who are like, wow, I had no idea that coming to this convention, I was going to get an opportunity to talk to these companies. They were actually going to consider me. And I think that's, that's the biggest push, right? Um, from an organizational standpoint is the people who are willing to take the time to go to these conventions, the people who are willing to commit to their own development outside of school, like that's what sets you apart. And companies know that. And the companies who go to these conferences, specifically in SHIP, like they're the ones giving the workshops. They're the ones hosting the, um, the networking sessions after certain workshops. And so that you get to mingle with the professionals. You get to mingle with the recruiters. And so there's no other, I guess I haven't been exposed to other organizations that give you that opportunity to really be able to dive deep with someone who's, who's currently working at, a, at your dream company. And you get to ask them all of the questions of, hey, how is this and how is that? And what do you recommend? And is my resume good enough? Or what should I put? And how should I answer my questions? All of those things are going to get you a leg up on when you start interviewing with the recruiters. I, and I think it's also important to note that a lot of the university, uh, a lot of the big companies, they're trying to hire their workforce to mimic the population. And and so because there's there's not, you know, there's not a lot of minorities in STEM jobs, they're there and they're so eager to recruit and hire top minority talent. And so a lot of times, from my understanding, is they'll send their diversity inclusion recruiters to these types of events. And it's, it's the door is you probably have a higher chance of getting a job with this organization because the right people, the right, you know, they're looking for minority, take advantage of your minority guy, take advantage of a Hispanic card because that will, you're more likely to get a job at Facebook and Google by being a minority because they're trying to fill the gap by being a, a woman engineer because they're trying to fill those gaps. And it's not about like they're, they're going to hire you because you're less talented. No, they're actually just going to take a deeper look into you and give you that opportunity. That doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a job. So I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of these companies, yeah, they, they definitely want to recruit and they want to bring a, a, a diverse workforce that's going to be able to give back to the community and the clients that they represent. 
And yeah, to your point, there isn't enough uh, uh, minorities in engineering. And so in the organization, when we go to the conventions, it's not just Hispanics at the convention. Like everybody who's looking for a technical corporate job, like you will see them there. So there's opportunities for people who aren't Hispanic, who just want to get plugged in to also show up. But what I, what I wanted to touch on is, you know, the, the demographics, right? Um, there's seven, I think it's between seven and 14% of the entire STEM workforce is made up of, of Hispanics. And out of those, like the numbers get smaller and smaller and smaller for the above middle management, the executive roles, especially for Latinas, like the number is incredibly small. And so in SHIP, you know, we know that there's a problem in that. And that's why we're not, you know, when we push the diversity and inclusion, we're trying to educate our companies that we work with as far as this is what it looks like to have a diverse workforce. This is what, you know, specifically Hispanics are looking for in a corporate job, the, the things, the conversations that they want to have, the exposure that they want to have, the opportunities. But we also, you know, know that there's a huge pipeline problem. And that's why we're so passionate on doing community outreach and community service at the K through 12 level, because if we're not encouraging Hispa young Hispanics to pursue STEM, by the time they get to college, unfortunately, it's too late because they already think that math isn't sexy. They already think that science isn't exciting. Like it's not stuff that we talk about culturally. And I think, you know, once again to other countries, like maybe, maybe yes, maybe no, but the exposure that I've had, typically you, you, Hispanics don't pursue STEM because they want to go out there and start making money now. And, you know, having to go to college and having to, you know, get your master's and PhD, it's not something that you have time for. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's again, to your point, the companies are going out there looking for that and they're really passionate on trying to build that pipeline so that they can have a really good workforce in the future. You know, I have a couple of things to, you know, to, to say back to what you're saying that is very, very important is well, one, it's a question like, why, why do you think Hispanics, you know, generally don't gravitate to STEM jobs. And, and I think you said something about not being sexy, but maybe can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Cause I think, I think that's very interesting because sometimes we become our own biggest enemies. And, and I, and I want to make sure that the people listening, you know, don't, don't think that I'm, I'm going to generalize here and I'm going to talk about the exposure that I've had. And I'm sure it's extremely different. Their upbringing, their background and the people they've been exposed to. But in my experience, it, STEM degrees tend to be, and, and I'm going to talk about not necessarily Latinas, but just like Hispanic males, right? Um, you're supposed to work with your hands. You're supposed to like be able to, you know, provide and do all these different things. And so when you start talking about the books, the math, it's not labor intensive, right? It's very, it's very uh, mind, mind driven. It's very technical. Um, and so that's been a little bit of the exposure that I've had. You know, when I was a kid, I always remember, you know, people either laughing at me because I enjoyed math or I enjoyed reading or whatever the case is. But culturally speaking, like it, it wasn't something that you were exposed to in a, in a big level. So even when you look at uh, you look at the movies, you look at the, the programming that we're exposed to, you look at you look at things that we're when we see Hispanic roles. We look at, you know, the novellas or we look at people in landscaping or we look at people in construction or we look at people who, again, are more hands on. Um, you don't see a lot of engineers. You don't see people, you know, being exposed to that on TV, but also the conversations that we're having. They're not. You're not saying, oh, well, there's a Hispanic scientist, right? 
um, that kind of thing. So I think it's been the programming from a young age. And it's also the fact that the, the exposure that people have for engineers isn't a very hands-on uh, approach. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I had a question to you that we, I, want, I want to make sure we cover. And that is the importance on taking leadership roles. And a lot of times when I meet, you know, engineers, they're primarily introverted. Um, and sometimes people just think that you need to be extroverted to be a leader, which I recently read actually the best leaders are introverted, but uh, that's a different thing. But let's talk about why you think that's so important and why if, even if you are introverted, why you should go for leadership positions. Yeah, funny enough, everybody thinks that I'm an extrovert, but I'm honestly an introvert. I get my energy by being by myself and reading my books and watching my movies. Like that's how I get energy. I get super excited being exposed to people and being like uh, being the energy and being like the life of the party. But it's because I really enjoy seeing people be happy. But to answer the question on the leadership part, you can't influence people if you don't know how to be authentic. And I think there's a huge difference in being a manager and being a leader in a company, specifically in the technical world. I think you know, you look at project engineers, you look at project managers and senior, you know, PMs and that kind of thing. And oftentimes you end up seeing people who are extremely well, you know, they, they're, they're profitable, right? They're, they're very efficient. They always hit budgets. They always hit schedules, but they're very introverted, but they're also very, um, for lack of a better term, cold, right? And they just see people as numbers. They see people as someone who can just do the problem. And as engineers, I've often been exposed to that people who are who don't know how to influence others by building meaningful relationships end up not having a team that really cares for them, and they'd be happy leaving for another team leader at any at a moment's at a moment's notice. And so, I think it's extremely important for someone who has a technical background to get exposure to being a leader and knowing how to have, you know. Um, meaningful conversations, but being extremely open with people, right? Uh, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I was another, another reason why I was involved in SHIP is I saw the opportunity in having an opportunity to lead teams without having the experience just yet. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be president of uh, several chapters. I've been at the regional level. I've been at the national level. And so I've had exposure to work with remote teams. I've had exposure to work with teams with people who are older than me, people who are younger than me. And all of the mistakes that I've made in SHIP didn't cost me anything. And even though it's been difficult and trying to you know, reestablish relationships with people in SHIP, I've been able to take those skills and apply them into the workforce and apply them into my job. And now I'm getting opportunities at work that I wasn't supposed to get to until five, six years from now, right? Because in the corporate America, you're supposed to put your head down and wait for your turn. But I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to put my head down and wait. So I went out there and got the experience in leading teams and ship to be able to bring that back. But, but again, just to reiterate, I get, if you want to be intentional with the way you lead people, you have to be able to build influence and you can build influence if you don't know how to be real with people uh, and you just talk numbers. That's, that's, a, you made so many great points that, that, that is definitely a fact. Like it's, you know, about caring for people. You don't need to, you know, the difference between manager and leader. And also like I tell students all the time is like, you do not need a title to be a leader. 
And, and that's really important because let's say you ran for, you want to, you ran for president of your student organization and you didn't get it. Are you just going to beat yourself up for it and just sit back the whole semester and just be bitter about the fact that you didn't get elected? Or are you going to still be involved, still be a leader amongst the organization and, and show them because you don't need a title. I think it speaks even more volumes about your character and about yourself and your leadership style of what you can do to influence and push the organization's agenda forward without the title. And it's more respectable. I let, me, let me jump in real quick. Let me jump yeah, in. Yeah. I think like the, that, that's a huge one, right? I think also like the why. I think that's the biggest question that I ask people. And I don't know if you've been exposed to this, but the exercise of the five whys, it's like a Lean Six Sigma thing. And you ask yourself, you know, the question, well, I want to run for president. Why do you want to run for president? Well, because I want to move the chapter. Why do you want to move the chapter? And so you do that iteration five times and eventually you'll come down to the idea of, okay, this is really the root cause of why I want to do something. But when people, you know, don't win a presidency or people don't win a leadership role, I ask them the question, why should you want to run in the first place? And unfortunately, sometimes like, well, I wanted the title. Well, what did you want the title for? Well, I think it was going to help my resume. Okay, but at the end of the day, let's imagine that you put a title on your resume and you can't sell it, right? Oh, I was the president of a chapter. Well, what did you do? What do you mean, what did I do? I was the president of a chapter. No, but what did you do? And then you ask someone who's a member, it's like, oh, so what you do in CHIP? Oh, well, I was just a member, but I was really involved as a chair and I helped, you know, provide programs and I was leading this and I was leading that. That's way more meaningful that someone who tells me I was a president of a chapter because all that tells me is that you won a popularity contest, but you didn't really drive change. And like, that's what people are looking for is who can drive influence and who authentically is a leader without the title. I mean, absolutely. I, I think about turning every like defeat or obstacle into an opportunity. So let's imagine this, this scenario of I wanted to run for professional development or even president. And as a president, you are in charge. You're bringing in guest speakers. I don't know. As an example, depending on the organization, that could be, that could be a role. And you didn't, you, you know, you lost the popularity contest, right? But that semester, instead, you worked on getting Google, Facebook, and another local or another local technology company in your area, and they came to your chapter. And because those big companies or those appealing companies came to your chapter, in result, membership grew because more people wanted to be a part of those, you know, those events. And you didn't have the title. I think if you were to tell that to an employer and said, you know, tell me a little bit about your leadership skill. I said, I ran for president. I lost. I did A, B, and C. And then I result this. And actually the, the following semester, everybody wanted me to run again. Right. That is so much more valuable. And it shows your character, your the fact that you don't give up. And, and then it shows that you don't let obstacles stop you. And, I always tell students that every time you fail or every time you think that that is a disadvantage, I promise you it's an advantage. Like it's always said like there's a dis disadvantage for being a first generation college student or there, there's a, it is said that it's a disadvantage to be Hispanic or a minority or to be a, or to be a woman. But I tell students, I'm like, maybe that is true a couple years ago, but now that disadvantage that people had is your advantage. Because now companies 
realized that they don't have a diverse workforce and they realized that they need a diverse workforce to win and that specifically females and Hispanics because as Hispanic population continues to grow in the United States and we become like the majority of the minority, we need this com- what these companies need their workforce to match the population and now they have to try to hire STEM Hispanic students and like you said, the pipeline is not there so they're fighting for talent. And so your disadvantage is not your advantage. And it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing for any major. Take advantage of your disadvantages all the time. And, and it, that includes, you know, applying for jobs. That includes for failing at an internship, failing in a, a, a winning an election, failing a class. Like, take it. Like, sure, it, it sucks. You know, you have to retake the class. But you don't know, like, what good can come out of there when you retake the class and now you're, you're very familiar with the material, you can now understand what's happening. You can take advantage of maybe turn that into an internship or turn that into a uh, help the prof- I forget what the, the, that is called when you help the professor, like a student assistant. Like research? Or, like TA? Uh, yeah, like a TA. TA, that's, that's the word. Like you can turn those weaknesses into um, your advantage. And it gives you perspective. I mean, I, I got a 2.0 back to back in college. Um, I had gone and I got two D's in college. So quote unquote, that's, that's failing in my curriculum because I needed to retake it because it was part of my, I guess, coursework. But like even in college, like I went through so many different things. So just to give you like a recap, like I had my fr- freshman year, I had two little cousins pass away, um, you know, 13 and 15. Then I had my grandpa pass away. Then I had my grandma pass away. Then I had my dad pass away two months before graduating college. It's like all those things happen on top of having to help my family back at home. I um, had to work multiple jobs. And at one point I had single digits in my bank account, like two, three dollars. And so I had to rely on friends. I had to rely on family to be able to say, hey, I'm like struggling right now. I need your help. But all of that gave me perspective. All of those failures reminding me on the importance of like you have to get through shit to be able to become better on the other end um and i think so many people are, are shy about that like they they feel they feel ashamed of their story and i think that's what gives you power in being able to say like no this is everything that i've been through and this is who i am because i've been through this and when you hire me and when i find a company who's willing to support me like that's where i'm going to find my happiness because these are people who are going to love me for who i am and what i've gone through and i think that's like again one of the biggest reasons of why i'm still in this company is like i love the company but i even love more the people i work with right and i think that's what's important is you have to build those relationships in your company who are people going to support you and know the stuff that you've been through because they're going to know where you're coming from. And so, but, but yeah, there's so much power in, in the failures that you go through in college because that's going to give you so much more perspective when you get to the real world, quote unquote. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah, definitely. That advice is so true. I have, you know, I have a couple of questions left. I know we're running out of time. One of the best way I think for students to understand if they can really see themselves in their career or not is to spend a day in the life of that that profession what do you think is the best way for students that want to learn a little bit more about any type of stem jobs and so they will love to job shadow or graph coffee with an individual what do you think is the best way to approach someone who's currently doing that job or to even ask to job shadow 
Yeah, so I'm going to give you the quick recap because I know that we're running out of time. Um, we call them externships. An externship is a one-day internship, and that's what we call a shadow. So if someone's looking for an opportunity to get involved in the STEM workforce, I would say start Googling you know, externship opportunities and then the company. But the other thing, this is what I encourage people to do, um, is to use school as an excuse and say, hey, I'm going through a class right now that's trying to encourage me to get exposure to the workforce and you go on LinkedIn, you look up the company, you look up the title that you're looking for and you send them an email and saying, Hey, I'm working on this. And I'd be, it'd be awesome if you could spare five, 10 minutes on me being able to just ask you some questions on what you do. And then, and then that'd be that. And then you build that relationship and maybe two or three interactions later, you can say, Hey, would it be cool for me just to come over for like an hour or two um, just to see what you do? And they're like, you know what? You can come all day. It's, it's totally cool. And that's like the biggest, um, I guess, advice I can give to somebody. Love it. So last question, my last question every single episode. What is one piece, one takeaway that you would want a student listening to this episode to take away? I think I talked about it a little bit, but it's it's find your why, right? And, and I there's three things that I tell people. It's find your tribe, find your, find your why, and fail and pivot if needed. And I think that the biggest takeaway that I want people to take is you have to find out why you do what you do. And if you're able to do that, like everything else will come easy. It'll be so much easier to tell people no. It'll be so much easier to be uh, involved in things that you really enjoy. And so you're going to have hundreds of opportunities come your way. But if you truly understand like internally, like why you do what you do, you're going to be able to say, you know what? Yes, this is a company for me and this is why. This is an organization for me and this is why. But if you start getting your friends inviting you out to places and they're like, we'll do this and do that, you'll be able to say no. And when they ask you why, you'll tell them why because you know what's up. And I think like that's the biggest takeaway is you have to know what pushes you and like what really motivates you on doing what you do. I saw you on LinkedIn that you were reading that book uh, by Simon Sinek, Find Your Why. Yeah, I've, I've read that book twice. And like that's every opportunity I get to push it. Like that's one of it's one of my top three, top five uh, that you have to people have to read because like like his goal is for people to love the way they work and but yeah, so true. Top three quick books: uh, Find Your Why, The One Thing, and uh, Think and Grow Rich. Excellent, I love it, Fernando. You've been an amazing guest. If, if students want to connect with you, what is the best way? Yeah, so they can reach out to me on Instagram. They can reach out to me on my website. Uh, but my handle everywhere is FDO. That stands for Fernando. Uh, so FDO Ceballos. So FDO C-E-B-A-L-O-S. And I'll definitely tag you on when the episode goes live. I'll tag you on LinkedIn also as well, Instagram, so that people can quickly connect with you. And they want to learn more about STEM or even engineering, chef and everything else that you do. Please, guys, reach out to him. He's an amazing guy. Definitely follow him on Instagram. Learn more about what he does and how much he gives back to the community. Thank you so much. Seriously, thank you so much. And for everybody else listening to this podcast, catch you guys on the next episode.